Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, whatever time it is, thank you for listening and welcome. My name is Tony Horn, and this is part two of a pilot that I recorded perhaps some 10 days ago following the death of my dear friend James Brokenshire, or as he's written up, James Brokenshire MP. That is not how I knew my friend. I knew him as Jimbo, matey boy, James. The public, of course, have a slightly different perception of the man that was Northern Ireland Secretary. The pilot is because in the year 2016, when so many famous people died, I believed that there was an error in the way that people paid tribute. Obituaries were very quick to land. Wikipedia was so quick to be updated. And TV rolling news was so quick to accept anybody that would reflect on someone's life. And when you reflect on someone's life, a work in progress until it is at its end, I think you need more time than to be first on the scene to react. So I make no bones about recording this second podcast on today, 24th of October 2021, at 8.24 in the evening, UK time. I had that concept that we should record a podcast. I notionally called it the Dead Good Podcast. I wanted it to be good. I wanted it to be dead good. It reflected the dead. I wanted it to convey an individual's life and I wanted it also to convey the light side of the dark side. And I'm getting slightly older myself and I am starting to lose friends, people around the same age. But there is no doubt that possibly because we are exposed to it more through rolling news and we have more awareness generally of people, There lacks an obituary podcast, an obituary program. And notwithstanding the fact that I am moved to record this because of the friend that I have lost. In the time since I recorded episode one, and I do not like that word. uh, The world has lost Colin Powell, a substantial figure in the US administration. On the set of the Alec Baldwin movie. Wow, what a catastrophic moment. An awful occurrence upon which I would reflect if we were doing a weekly podcast. What appears to be an accidental death involving a firearm on a movie set, Alec Baldwin. Uh, reported as heartbroken, the armourer, a phrase and an explanation almost none of us were familiar with. Their role outlined in full front of the media when, of course, the tragedy of the death of um, Helena Hutchins unravels before the world. And then, of course... In the 
week that followed my dear friend James Brokenshire's death, the appalling stabbing of a Conservative MP to which he was close, Sir David Amos. You may well have seen the clips on telly of Sir David Amos speaking about Southend, notionally being given a city status, and James Brokenshire born in Southend laughing behind. Well, James was always laughing, and he was not laughing in an insincere way. He had that grin that I associate with a contented soul. He was my dear beautiful friend, and on Wednesday night, last week I made my way to London to pay tribute to him and to attend his funeral in this pilot part two if you like I will give you some insight in what it is like to attend a funeral of a public figure it's been the longest of weeks which began on the Friday previous when I received a text from a lady I've not met and I don't know who she is she uh, being Amanda McLean, who said, I'm helping with Kathy's arrangements for the funeral. Kathy being James's wife. And here is your invitation. I've never yet, before this point, been invited to a funeral, but you can understand, being the former Northern Ireland secretary, the security was tight. Over the weekend, I contacted my dear friend Nick Thatcher, we were a triumvirate at university, myself, James and Nick. And Nick was in a zone and talking to Kath, James's wife, a lot. By the end of the weekend, I was attempting to book a train and I contacted Amanda, who'd contacted me and said, I'm trying to book a train. And obviously there is the funeral, there's the graveside, there is the wake. And I know a lot of people in London, I'm coming from Manchester, so I was attempting to coordinate. Notwithstanding the substantial price that a ticket to London costs. A couple of dear friends of mine said, look, you don't have to go. To which I replied, there is no price on this ticket. If it had been me and you hadn't come, well, if I had the capacity to think, being dead, I'd be upset. The least I can do to honour my friend is to attend, and I will attend at all costs. And that sort of mindset is something which I will come back to in a moment when I reference James's daughter's speech in the church. So I made my way to London Wednesday night and I stayed with my dear friend Nick and it's been a long time and of course we stayed up till one o'clock talking. In the morning, Thursday, as it was, I woke up, we chatted, we filled silences with nervous chatter. Not that we were uncomfortable speaking to each other but we, I think we both knew that if the silence broke we might break and tears would flow for James. We drove from London to Bexley in Kent, already at 10 in the morning for a midday funeral. The police presence was colossal, even in the greasy spoons where we ordered two bacon butties, Nick's partner, splashed out on something I think was an eggs royale. 
it looked good. <laughs> and I regretted my choice as I spied the police at the back door. Wow. As we wandered towards the church very early, there were many, almost movie-like, characters in suits talking into their lapels, earpieces giving the game away. This was a heavily protective funeral. And it also occurred to all of us that the goodwill of the public would be very present. And of course, if you look at Sir David Amos, a surgery he held for his constituents, you cannot know who might be in that public, whilst 99% of the public mean well. Wow. Yet we wandered into the church unchecked. I sat down at 11.15. I ran into an old friend, Ian Dale, LBC broadcaster, my very first publisher. Uh, James was an absolute devotee of LBC, not just as a politician, but more importantly as a listener growing up. He loved that station. I picked up the programme and I saw James still smiling at me. I looked at the front, I looked at the back, and he was still smiling at me. James was always smiling. And listen, I have to tell you this as a friend. James smiled to everybody, but I also know the James that smiled when he was under the cosh being interviewed as a politician. He was the most combative respondent to a question. I think I can turn over almost anybody in an interview, but I don't think I could turn over my friend James. That is not to say that he was in any way evading a truth. He just was a brilliant communicator and he was always smiling. And most importantly, with the likes of Ian Dale on LBC, he respected their right to ask a difficult question. In the car to the funeral, Nick and I laughed and cried about James. And if this podcast is to be something going forward that is continued, it must have the light side and the dark side. So in this lightest of moments, in the darkest of times, as I pay tribute to my friend I will not give the details but Nick and I mused and amused ourselves over something on James's Wikipedia that we know is misleading and doesn't tell the whole story it's okay we're not about to edit it but we know as we stood there in the church I am unsurprised not starstruck to see Theresa May to my right the former Prime Minister her and James formed an incredible bond she a former Home Secretary James security an incredible part of his mantra he was after all a lawyer therefore I think you would understand that's part of his instinct Ahead of me, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor. Priti Patel. Well, who 
when the boundary changes came in, won a seat over James. But that's in the past. The recognition of the top members of government uh, was significant. I took a train afterwards with Arlene Foster, the former First Minister of Northern Ireland, who told me that James was very well respected by all sides. And she also said how important it had been that his family had been in Northern Ireland too. I didn't feel any sense of putting it on for the cameras about anybody that I spoke to or attended James's funeral. The service itself was so beautiful. <laughs> I laughed to myself having presented radio programmes with James Brokenshaw, um, which is something I think almost nobody else can claim that he was taken out of the church to Simple Minds is Don't You Forget About Me and the track seemed to be the 12-inch that would go on and on and on. Before that, of course, some beautiful hymns and some wonderful readings, including his own daughter, Sophie, who made the point that it's just so right. James was... A politician, a friend, a Northern Ireland minister, a charity worker, but dad to them, and there was a void to fill. She got it. She understood what it meant to be public in public life, but she understood, of course, that this was their father. And she gave a tearless speech, which was up there amongst the great speeches that I have seen at funerals outside the church, having not met James's children. I introduced myself. They'd read what I'd written on his website. Uh, we hugged and... I think that experience of them understanding memories that other people had of their dad was vitally important. I met James's best friend in the world, Johnny, who I've not seen for at least a couple of decades, but we hugged like we'd last seen each other yesterday. And I'm delighted that that bond now will continue and that we will speak again. Johnny and James were inseparable. They really were. In Sophie's speech at the funeral, she outlined an incredible man. The minister giving the service made the point that James put public service before his own wealth and career. The youngest partner in his law firm, but abandoning it to serve his country. As a obvious but loyal supporter of the Roy Castle Foundation, lung cancer took James and he never smoked. Roy Castle Foundation had never had so many inquiries in the previous seven days and the funding had gone through the roof, topping close to 100 grand on 
the website set up for James. But that was emphasised too by Sophie's story that they understood their role that the dad played in society and there was one time I think approaching Christmas where James took a ferry from Northern Ireland to Scotland took a hire car back to West, uh, to Kent and he would do anything to get home he loved his family but he loved his country and he loved serving justice and I am grateful to know that person it reminds me that whether it is Colin Powell, a significant fixture in our lives, in those years, post 9-11, etc., or whether it be the appallingly sad events that have happened on the movie set with Alec Baldwin, we need to recognise death in a way that is honest, shows the light side and the dark side and is regular and is also not forgotten in the moment after we pay tribute and that is one reason really why i wanted to do the dead good podcast as yet i cannot promise you when there will be another one i think we'll be on an as and when basis I think it may be fortnightly, depending on time. But one thing I've learned about the death of my friend is that death unifies people. It brings people together. It tells great stories. It opens hearts. It opens hearts and wounds. It makes people laugh and cry. Tears are plenty. Smiles. Ever present. And I think... We're more than just a coffin or a selection of ashes. So, for the second time, in memory of my friend James Brokenshire, MP, and those other people who have left us in the time since I last spoke, I dedicate this podcast. Until the next time, we will meet again. And you've got to keep on keeping on. Thanks for listening.